Hey friends, the Kingdom Roots Podcast is brought to you by Northern Seminary. And I wanted to let you know at Northern, we love the opportunity to get to equip the church to engage the world. One of the areas of church leadership we have a real passion about is urban leadership. We even have a a whole program dedicated to it. And I wanted to let you know that coming up on August 12th, 2020, we're having the Urban Faith Leaders Symposium and Evening in the Word. This is a totally free event on August 12th, Wednesday, from 12 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're going to be totally online through Zoom, and we would love to have you join us. We're going to be looking at four different topics that impact ministry in the urban context, and we would love to have you check it out. So I'm going to include a link in the show notes, and we hope to see you there on August 12th. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Amy Bird on her new book, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Well, Scott, we just got done with a a pretty good conversation with Amy, didn't we? Yeah, and she has... uh... She has quite the experience. She's in a, a circle of people who are experiencing some tension over her clarity of voice on, on this topic. And I thought it was a wonderful interview, and I think everybody's yeah. going to enjoy listening to it. I agree. We also have another voice who joins us, Laura, one of my, my fellow students, who has some really good questions to ask. That's right. Yeah, hi. <laughs> and her name is Laura. Ma Taro. Yes. Taro. Taro. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And she, will, uh, and she will be joining this conversation and our podcasts uh, that are coming down the road. She'll be a part of our conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> thanks, Laura. Well, thanks as always for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Amy, thanks for being with us today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. I have known about Amy and known Amy for at least five years. But um, I think the first time she really was on my radar is when I did a, I think it was called a podcast, I'm not sure, with uh, when Amy was with um, another organization. And um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I kept calling a guy Tom. His name was Todd, and probably was the wrong thing to be calling him. It was a good thing, David. I was a big fan of Tom Wright, from what I understand. And um, uh, then, she, then she wrote a book that I thought was uh, very insightful uh, called um, Why Can't We Be Friends? And it was about male, uh, let's say, I don't know how you use this in our language today, but it was, you know, can Christian men and women be friends with one another without compromising marriages, et cetera, et cetera. And it's been an interesting conversation for me because my wife is a psychologist and we've had conversations about this uh, for many years. Um, When I was at Trinity, this really wasn't a problem because there there weren't any women around. Um, 
not te- hardly any teaching, but at North Park, it was it was uh, pretty well split, and uh, and some of my uh, older colleagues became friends to me, friends of wisdom. And so then then I saw this title, and I thought the the new title that you had was one of the greatest titles I've ever seen. Uh, partly that tells you something about me: recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood. And I couldn't wait to read it, and then I got to blurb it. Uh, but that's the reason that we have Amy on here. But I also want to toot her horn. She was one of the first to see that what was going on in conservative evangelical circles about the doctrine of the Trinity was, if not heresy, it was borderline heresy. I became aware of this because I had a colleague at North Park who was a brilliant Trinitarian theologian, Eastern Orthodox, who I read him one time a paragraph from Wayne Grudem, and he said, that's Arianism. (laughs) I went, whoa. I said, and he said, if it's not, it's it's way too close. Well, this isn't, uh, and Amy knows this, uh, in New Testament studies, we don't get into Trinitarian theology much. It sounds kind of crazy, but we kind of let the theologians do their thing, and we do our New Testament studies. But she saw this early and started calling it out, but it wasn't until um, a major pastoral theologian, I think he's from Philadelphia. He's where? He's a preacher at South Presbyterian in Philadelphia. Yeah, and he, uh, he came out swinging, and it really changed the conversation. And so Amy uh, had a major contribution theologically in recognizing that the eternal subordination of the Son was a major issue. And when I, I I'll tell the story. When I was teaching at Trinity, we had a search, and it, and uh, one of the candidates was asked a question about eternal subordination, and the candidate said that he he believed in eternal generation, and I saw some mumbling in the room when the session ended quickly two of these professors went into a room and came out half an hour an hour later and announced that the search was over because this person didn't believe in eternal subordination and now this is seen as borderline heresy and uh, Mike Bird has written about that but so I was excited to see that Amy was taking on the biblical manhood and womanhood movement and we have her on here today to uh, talk with us about this. And Amy, um, you're used to these kind of free-flowing questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like you to tell us what CB uh, Christians for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood um, are all about. What is it about? Who are the leaders? What are their teachings? So over to you. Ooh, that is a very big question. <laughs> well, I'll try to give us the same answer. So, um They've been around for about 30 years, and they had uh, what was kind of referred to as the, the Blue Book, which was kind of like the CBMW Bible um, called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. So it was edited by John Piper and Wayne Grudem, but there's, there's many chapters in the book, um, which is over 500 pages long, you know, written by different contributors. And um, they're writing, they, they kind of formed to combat the, the sexual revolution, you know, for the church to have a conservative voice 
against the sexual revolution and what we're being told about sexual fluidity and homosexuality and abortion and, and then manhood and womanhood itself. So yeah, I was very young when that movement started um, and they were all over the radio. You know, you'd hear them on Focus on the Family and in all these big Christian radio programs that I listened to in my early 20s. Um, you know, I got married at 21 years old. So uh, I, I come from a divorced home. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. Really wanted to, you know, do this whole marriage thing right and be a, a great Christian wife. And um, So I, you know, I, I soaked up these resources. And um, as I was reading them, you know, written by people that I've learned a lot from and, and grew in my, in my Christian faith from. Um, but then some of the teachings in there seemed very odd to me. Uh, you know, some of them were really, really good teachings. And then next to them, uh, the very definitions that they had of manhood and womanhood, mature masculinity and mature femininity um, were troubling to me. But I was in my early 20s. You know, what did I know? So... Um, this was the environment I was in, and I was trying to be this this biblical woman. Um, as as later I became a writer in those very same circles, um, and returning to some of this material and the new stuff they're pumping out, um, like this article called "Sanctified Testosterone" and, and another one, "Soap Bubble Submission." You know, I started seeing all these red flags, and still I was naive enough to think that. You know, if you ask a couple questions here, maybe you'll get some satisfying answers, or um, you know, maybe you can even sharpen one. You know, we could sharpen one another a little bit. Speaking as a woman, um, however, that wasn't the case. Um, it was looked at as you know, kind of being insubordinate and um, rebellious. And so then I, I realized how um, how these are boundary markers that I was finding weren't very biblical at all. Even as I came on the podcast you were talking about, uh, Scott, on uh, MLS, as soon as I was invited on to that podcast, because at first it was two men, a you know, professor slash pastor and a pastor. Um, as I came on um, talking about theology with two church officers as a lay woman, letters came in, like, this is dangerous. I'm not sure that you should let, uh, should model this. It's an unhealthy model for the church. Um, maybe one, one letter, maybe it would be different if she weighed 300 pounds and had a mustache. So I'm trying to help help. <laughs> so, I mean, then I'm starting to see the culture. You know, this is a whole culture. Uh, and it's called... Complementarianism. I think that's a beautiful word. <laughs> I, uh, I believe in male-female complementarity. Um, so I thought, surely this isn't all of complementarianism. You know, surely this isn't uh, what everyone thinks. And, and I still, today, do not believe that everyone within, quote-unquote, complementarianism, or who say that they're complementarian, believe all this. But for some reason... Um, it hasn't gone challenged. Um, and that's, the, I think, the worst part about it. You know, you see that um, in cover-up things, the sexual abuse cover-up stuff, things like that, too. Like when, when these things aren't challenged, 
it does promote this culture that can become abusive. Um, and so all of this teaching starts really getting pumped into like for resources for men's ministries and women's ministries in the church. And so, you know, us women are reading about how we should be careful not to uh, work out too much because we don't want hard bodies. And, uh, we need to be careful how we're giving directions to men because we can't give direct guidance to a man. You know, just all these odd, odd things. Uh, you know, can women be police officers? You know, all these weird questions to me that uh, I've never, you know, I was never raised with that kind of quote unquote femininity. So, you know, I was raised in a house that taught martial arts in the garage. So it just wasn't, uh, I didn't fit into it very well. Um, so, and then this teaching with the ESS, the Eternal Subordination of the Sun. And, and I just want to say, give props to Rachel Miller, a homeschooling mom in the OTC in, in Texas, who was, you know, really the first one writing about this. And, you know, she's, seeing it in her women's ministry material. She's seeing it in the homeschooling material. She doesn't want homeschoolers to have this kind of lap or the OPC. Um, but she was being ignored. I was trying to, you know, interact with her writing because I'm like, yeah, this is really bad. Um, and I knew I was being ignored. So it was when I asked Liam Gallagher to write from my blog and I was showing him, you know, how prevalent this was, how it was directly coming out of CBMW and all of their resources that they had. And in their conferences, um, it was associated with the gospel itself. They would use the eternal subordination of the Son to teach that just like Jesus is eternally subordinate, eternally subordinate in his very nature, um, that women too are eternally subordinate in our nature, ontologically speaking, our very beings. Um, to men, all women, to all men. Um, so it's on their website, it's in their resources, it's in their conferences. Um, the president, the then president's new book that came out of CBMW, I mean, it's saturated with it. Um, and even talking about weird things like men and women's hair length. I mean, so when I started showing this to Liam, you know, as a pastor theologian, he was very upset. You know, he doesn't want his congregation to be getting these messages. So um, I'm so thankful that he wrote that guest and and I was shocked at the reception that it got. Um, he was taken seriously, and next thing you know, patristic scholars are weighing in, and there's you know, journal articles and books and conferences about it. However, here we are, four years later, and they shuffled around the leadership. They've taken no responsibility. They haven't retracted any of the teaching. They basic the new president basically said, "Nothing to see here. We have nothing to do with this. This isn't our responsibility." Um, and that we can have a wide group of what people think about the Trinity as long as we all agree on our Danvers statement that CBMW has come up with about physical manhood and womanhood. Um, well, everywhere I was around CBMW people, mm -hmm. eternal subordination of the sun came up all the time. Yeah, it was saturated. The recent, the recent, once this was exposed, they started to backpedal and even uh, pretend like this wasn't that important. I heard it all the time. Yeah. And I, I'm near Trinity. Mm. Uh, we live near Trinity. And those Trinity students would talk about this as if this is fundamental to Christian marriage. 
is understanding the eternal subordination of the Son. So, you know, there's a there's a miscommunication here. Okay, maybe they really would like to think they didn't have that as that formative for their theology. But I know Wayne uh, Wayne Grudem did. I don't know about Piper. I've never paid attention to him on this one. I imagine he's with them. Others, Bruce Ware, these people were seen as star theologians in that movement. Owen Strahan is related to Bruce Ware. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is important to that group of people. And the exposure of it led to a shifting in that group of people about how they talk about it. But they've never really admitted the, uh, where they really were on that. Yeah, Chaz, you have a question. Yeah, I just want to make sure, just in case uh, some of our listeners are probably unaware of what uh, eternal submission language that you guys are, are talking about, could you give a quick definition? And I know it could dominate the rest of our conversation, but I think it would be helpful just for a little uh, context about uh, what that is you guys are talking about. You want to give it, Scott? Well, okay, my, my understanding of it is, is that they believe that Jesus as the Son is eternally subordinate to the Father from all eternity and for all eternity, correct? And it, yes. it, it, begins, it begins to sound like ontologically the son is subordinate to the father. And before long, you have a son who is not fully equal with what's called uh, uh, what, equal operation. What do they call, what do they call this? The, uh, where the, all, everything the father, the son, and the spirit do they're all in cooperation. So, yeah. That, yeah, there's so many other doctrines that are going to kind of layer out of that. Then, um, if if the son, in his very nature, is eternally subordinate to the father's authority, um, that implies two wills, two divine wills. Yeah. So now you're hitting other parts of the doctrine of God as well, um, and so you know that's pretty scary stuff. Um, that's right. So, and then, you know, Scripture tells us the son had to learn it. So there's no d distinction between the fact that the son does submit to the father as our mediator. Um, that's, you know, no one's arguing that. But the, that they subsume that into his very nature. That's right. That makes him pretty close to subordinate. And uh, we could explore that in multi-directions. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask um, Amy is why she wrote this book. And then um, if you could give, let's say, three major ideas that you present in the book. Okay. I know Laura, Laura is really big on this book and she has a couple questions as well. Uh, so, and I know I saw her reading it and talking about it on Facebook, so I know it, she, it's not on her mind. So, okay, over to you, Amy. Okay, well, you said you loved the title, but um, I didn't love the title at first because I knew um, that I was going to get hammered for using that title. But it also kind of drew the blood, I think, that we needed um, to, to draw attention to the real direct problem of the book. Um, so as I was you know, kind of working on a submission for this book, what I really wanted was not to directly address TBMW. I care a lot about discipleship. I, all my books I'm writing are about discipleship in the church. But as I was kind of alluding to earlier, especially as a woman writing about discipleship and in all the speaking engagements that I do, I see how differently 
it affects women, how differently women in the church are invested in, and, and how there's women all over the place thirsting, you know, wanting to be invested in more as disciples, wanting to be a part of the theological heart of the church, wanting to be contributing intellectually as well as in the practical areas where they serve in the church. Um, not wanting to be rebellious, not wanting to stir up trouble in their church, but feeling dismissed when they ask these questions, when they ask for discipleship in their very churches. Um, and then the resources that are given to them are this kind of CBMW stuff. Um, so I'm seeing this real problem. I want to write about discipleship for men and women in the church. And I, I wanted to focus on, and I wanted to give like an alternative resource to all the critical manhood and womanhood stuff and focus on the reciprocal voices between male and female voices in scripture. What is the function of the female voice in there? Um, and why is that important? I wanted to focus on the covenantal aspect of reading scripture together, because I feel like we've kind of lost that, and we have a very individualistic and biblicist reading of scripture. Uh, that kind of hermeneutic makes a big difference. Um, so I wanted to get back into the fact that we read communally. Uh, we have our covenant communities. Um, that we are in, and then just the bearing of the fruit of that in our church life, practically speaking, whether you know in, in corporate worship, but then also in the everyday life of the church, um, God's people, brothers and sisters in the faith um, in the local church. So, as I was, you know, kind of presenting this to my hopeful editor at Zondervan, um, she said, Amy. I like the content of what you're putting out, but um, we like you for your direct voice. We think that's where you uh, thrive, and we think that it needs to be addressed directly. So um, she kind of told me, I don't like the handle, uh, but readers entrance into the book. I want you to be more direct. So that's how we got the covering of biblical manhood and womanhood. And, and I have to say, even all of the beatings I've taken from writing it, I'm glad I took the direct approach because I think that it's very, it needs to be challenged directly. Yeah. And, uh, and you did. And I think uh, like Chris, my wife has looked at it and she says, I think she's kind and generous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're firm and you're clear. And some people experience that as being critical and harsh, mm -hmm. but you're not, you're not being mean. You're not, uh, you're not saying some of the things that some of these other people have said. So I, I, I found it, I find it very helpful. I, I got to tell you, I think the, the whole thing about pretty covers for Bibles sells an image of a female that lacks theological substance, is that they're pretty on the outside. And so... You know, one of your uh, contributions to all of this, I think, is your first book, Housewife Theologian, mm -hmm. is you've always wanted to deepen the theology in the church for everybody, but especially for women, too. Mm -hmm. And and you've done that uh, with your teaching and writing, and you've demonstrated that, that, uh, that women should be studying theology as well. And... We have uh, studying New Testament studies in our, I think it's our newest cohort, Laura, uh, and she is going to, uh, I think she's got a couple questions for you. Yeah, I would love to ask a couple questions. Um, 
what is the harm, speaking of these separate Bible study resources, what is the harm of having separate resources for men and women? Um, and should we study theology that way as well? Because I think you're right. There is a hunger for women to know more and to have greater depth. They're the ones at home answering the questions of their kids. Um, so mm -hmm. how do we provide them with greater depth and can it be accomplished through these separate resources? Is that a good idea? Yeah, that's a question that I kind of address a little bit in the book. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not against women exclusively studying theology or scripture together and, and men exclusively studying. Uh, I think there could be great benefits in that. Um, speaking from our shared experiences, we may share some things that we would not in a mixed audience. Um, however, I don't think that we should always be separating and learning separately. And, and what's happened is, you know, a lot of this has to do with, you know, publishing and, and, and money and marketing and all of that as well. Uh, and same with these parachurch organizations who are creating the resources. But um, we start marketing to women and we start marketing to men. And, and it all of a sudden becomes, um, the aim becomes this biblical womanhood, mm. or, um, biblical manhood. Yeah. We cite that the aim isn't that, isn't, I'm already a woman. <laughs> That's not my aim. My aim is to be a disciple of Christ. My aim is eternal communion with the triune God and one another. Um, mm -hmm. And so what? how are we being shaped now for this eternal aim that all of us have and share? And, and how are we promoting one another in those ways? And what I find is um, when, we, when we separate our resources, the men, you know, I kind of do a little bit of a, a, a look at just even the more theologically uh, accepted women's study Bible and men's study Bible put out by Crossway. And you can see that the doctrine is taught more seriously to the men. Um, and you know, they're, they're given all of this agency and leadership with the articles and the contributors are, are all men. Um, the women's study Bible, uh, a lot of the articles in there have to do with our, our victimhood. <laughs> and ways that we're self-harming and, and domesticity. And if they don't address our contributions theologically in the field, you can see that in the Women's Study Bible, there's male and female contributors, which is fine. I think that's great. Uh, I think male authors and scholars and women authors and scholars um, should weigh in together. We have something to learn from all of them. But apparently that doesn't transfer into the, the male study Bible. Uh, apparently they don't have anything to learn from from the women scholars and authors, um, that's troubling to me. Mm -hmm. That you see in a lot of these women's resources too, uh, what Scott was saying about the pretty covers, uh, they kind of show the same content inside as well, it can be pretty fluffy and, or theology light. Um, uh, Anna, Hannah Anderson calls it pink theology. Uh, we have to keep learning about Titus too. <laughs> and you know, the, the women verses, the very few women verses that are in there are our big studies all the time. And yeah. we're missing the whole integral content of scripture of, of brothers and sisters together as traitors to the faith, um, passing down to the next generation and sharpening one another in it so that we can commune together as a household of God. And, Laura had another question too. <laughs> <laughs> They're good questions. Yeah. Well, one of, one of my concerns is um, 
just how to better prepare pastors to preach and to shepherd both men and women in their congregation, um, particularly if um, in a lot of seminaries, there aren't female voices represented on the faculty. And so where or, you know, how many books by women are being assigned for pastors to read and how many are they choosing to read on their own? Um, so how can we expect them to listen and to see women's voices as having something helpful or authoritative to add um, in reference to scripture if they're not being trained this from the very beginning? Yeah, and, and this is that's such a good point and a really big deal. I think it needs to be addressed a lot more and, and we need to get more creative with this too. Um, yeah, certainly having more women um, professors is wonderful, but um, even on the lay level, um, I was invited to speak to a presbytery of the PCA at their meeting and about equipping women in the church. And this is back when I wrote my book, No Little Women. And um, I was a little nervous about it. Like, there was about 80 elders and, and pastors there. And it became glaring. Like, even though women are invited to these things, they don't really come. So uh, it, there was a worship first. And here I am, like, the, the sole female voice singing with, like, 80 male voices. <laughs> Um, so it was a bit intimidating, even though everybody was welcoming and friendly. And I was talking to my husband before I went because you know I had the same concerns as you. And I see it on the lay level, big time. And um, and and when I'm traveling and speaking, and so I'm saying to my husband, like, this is a great opportunity, but I don't want to like, overstep my bounds, and I don't want to come off as uh, you know them thinking I'm trying to teach them something. And, and my husband Matt he was like, Look, this is your opportunity. You've been invited. Like, I get the weirdest opportunities anyway. I've never envisioned myself doing these things. So he's like, do it. What, what do you have to lose? So I did. I, I get up there, I talk for 45 minutes, and I said some hard things about how, you know, in general, so often they're not even preaching to the women. Um, listening yeah. to the women um, asking the women questions, learning from the women in the church as well as the men, and investing in the women the same as the men. Mm. Then it was time for Q&A, <laughs> and I thought, oh, here we go, you know. Um, it's either going to be totally silent or they're going to come after me. And, wow, it was so cool. I mean, the arms were going up, and they were just connecting so many dots of real pastoral issues they're having in the church mm. right now to what I was just saying. And the questions were so good. I I mean, I, I was ashamed of myself for, you know, expecting less. But it was, anyway, a Man, probably in his mid fifties, raises his hand and he says, and "He's in the D.C. area." And he said, "Now, um, my mid fifties, and I just want to tell you that in my seminary training and any presbytery training, I've never heard what you just said. Hmm. I've never been trained in this way." And he hmm. thanked me for my courage. And I thought, you know, that's validating, but incredibly sad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and that, you know, another professor had invited me at RTS in DC to come speak on preaching to the women. And he said that the reason why he asked me is because he got five years into his own pastoral ministry and realized he's only preaching, you know, mainly to the men. That's who he has in mind when he's writing sermons. And, um, and that's who he's connecting with them. Mm. And, and I, you know, I think, well, it's wonderful. You know, five years seems like a long time, but, you know, in a whole pastoral career, it's wonderful that early in his career, he realized this and wanted to do something about it. You know, uh, Amy knows better than I do. Um, there's a uh, a woman professor in England 
named Valerie Hobbs. I'm not sure where she's teaching, but she's got a book coming out and she analyzes sermons and Christian discourse. Yes. And um, when she's done analyzing something, she can turn stuff upside down and inside out and manifest, let's say, let's just say some uh, male bias, prejudice, and um, failure to communicate in, in a, a, a full way. And I remember this, there was a little program on, on uh, online that you could plug in stuff. And I would, I would often plug my uh, sermons in to see how they rated on the scales of male versus female. Hmm. And um, I'm, I think that this is something to be really sensitive about. And I've, and, I, and Amy, I tell my students, there's two of them, that they need to, um, and I don't know if they've heard, I know Chaz has heard me say this, um, they need to tell stories about women in sermon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that there are a lot of women who have, who whose stories need to be told. And even in our local churches, what are the, what's going on in our local church? That needs to be told uh, about women. And uh, the impact that this has on the young girls in our churches, mm-hmm. the young women who are wondering about their calling are affirmed when this happens. But when it's all males about males, you know, and I plead with students to do a sermon series on the women of the Bible. Uh, and, and you've seen this yourself, uh, Amy, in your in your work on Ruth and Esther and all these things. These uh, these stories uh, can make male preachers feel uncomfortable. They don't they don't quite know how to tell the stories. Yeah. I mean, at first, I want to say Valerie's book about an introduction to religious language. Valerie Hobbs. Um, she is over at Sheffield University. Sheffield. Sheffield yeah. But, um, yeah. So. And I, I kind of write at the beginning of my book about this function of the woman's voice in scripture, like not just the stories about women, but how they, they shine a light, uh, showing often the story behind the story. And um, it's, I was so blessed. So my pastor just preached, he's preaching through Second Samuel, okay? So he's just going through expositionally, and he's now, this past Sunday, had to preach on the rape of Tamar by her brother. And, um, you know, it's a sensitive <laughs> section of scripture anyway there's children in the congregation um you know pastors often want to just maybe skip that part uh, not only did he not skip it, it, and it not only was it a fabulous sermon but part of that too was he camped out on what Tamar said um and he is showing how righteous she was um why what she was saying uh fleeing you know not to be raped and um and then he camped out on how is that in scripture? How do we have her words? Um, you know, because God wants us to see that he sees. And he wants us to hear Tamar's voice. And he wants us to see the situation Beautiful. through her eyes. And boy, let me tell you, not just me who's written on it and, you know, he saw that. Wow, my pastor's preaching like this is awesome. But after the, the sermon, so many women were just mm-hmm. very touched by, um, you know, not only that, but the way that he handles sexual abuse and all that in, in the sermon. Um, but, you know, to show how amazing is it in a patriarchal culture that we even have Tamar's words? 
She's the righteous one in it, you know? She's handing down her story and it's being recorded. You know, she's a traitor of the faith as well. Uh, and so it's just amazing. And I think that more men and women, you know, need to really think about that because that's complementarity. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how many people listening to this are going to go try to map out a sermon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my, why am I? They should. <laughs> they should. They should. Have, in our church, uh, we have a, a woman pastor, um, one of them, and she teaches. And um, she does the Bathsheba story when it comes up in the lectionary. She doesn't hold back. It's, yeah. and, it, and people in the church go, I want to hear this. Mm-hmm. This needs to be said. So, mm-hmm. well, Amy, we're coming toward the end here. I wonder if you have um, final words for our audience. You probably don't know our audience real well, but. Uh, things that you would like to say that you've learned about this book that you're right, that you finished? You know, I would like to say that this is just a meager contribution, which I think a lot more work needs to be done. Um, and your audience might be more uh, egalitarian than my audience is. And I really think there needs to be more sharpening between all of us and a lot more humility. Um, and you know, each each chapter kind of ends with questions and, and I would just love for church leaders to be discussing that amongst each other. Like, because so many people in churches and I think in both egalitarian and complementary churches wonder about the, you know, some of the same questions and and where the church stands on them. And, um, and that leads to conversations in their, in their congregation because, you know, they should be uh, very grateful that God is filling their pews with men and women who love the and want to serve him together. So I, I, I wish that we could um, could have more humble conversations about this. We might not all land in the exact same places, but I really think we can sharpen one another well. And I think the questions are, are very important, and especially in, in this day and age, we're still all confused about our own sexual identity and, and even within Christ's household. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah. Well said. Thanks, Amy, for being with us. Hey, I'm going to link in the show notes to your book that we've been talking about today. Uh, If somebody wanted to find you on the internet, where would be a good place to maybe learn more about you, interact if uh, they were interested to do so? Yeah, um, so I just started a new independent blog now called amybird.com, and that's A-I-M-E-E-B-Y-R-D.com. And then I'm also on Twitter at um, amybirdhwt. Um, housewife theologian for my very first book is when I started Twitter. And uh, yeah, so that's where you would probably first go to, to see what's going on with me. And, you know, I've written for lots of different places and, and do different podcasts. I was on the mortification spin for seven years, but I'm not mm-hmm. doing that anymore. So I don't know what, what comes next for that part mm-hmm. of my life. Yeah. Well, we're grateful to have you on today. So Thank thanks for being with And thank you, our listeners, for joining as always. We hope this has been a helpful conversation as you think through what it looks like for both male and female to be fully equipped to carry out the mission that we all have been given as a part of the kingdom. So thanks for joining us, and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.